In southern Iraq, where I was at right at the end of the first Gulf War, you may remember the the terrible road of death which the Iraqi army tried to escape the uh, the wrath of the U.S. in Kuwait. Uh, and miles and miles of vehicles um, of fleeing Iraqi uh, military personnel were were blown to bits. But most most of the ammunition, most of the ordnance used was depleted uranium. And some of the you you could tell that from I inspected the one end of the this convoy of death and the holes in the side of uh, armoured personnel carriers were those that had been caused by the shells of depleted uranium. I'd seen it elsewhere. Now, right across southern Iraq, um, depleted uranium was used, um, and it was used in a way that um, uh, it could only be it, it 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 had to uh be there for years and years in the future southern iraq particularly at that time of the year is a place of the most terrible sandstorms the sand blows up it blows into your eyes your nose your throat uh it's it's everyone is is covered with it. People talk about it. It's part of, it's part of life there, but it's a terrible part of life. And of course it carries, uh, all the toxics of, of warfare and particularly of depleted uranium. Um, one of the doctors referred to it as the seeds of death. Uh, and you can understand, you can understand why in the, teaching hospital, Sardra Teaching Hospital in Basra, the scene was, um, well, it was apocalyptic. Uh, mostly children had been affected because children not only play in these toxic sandstorms, they play on the wreckage of war and they can pick pick this up. When you consider, give you an idea, one of the doctors described it and I think accurately, as a form of nuclear warfare. Uh, an A-10 warhog fires 4,500 grams of depleted uranium in, in, in one shot. Uh, the United States used 300 tons of depleted uranium in southern Iraq. The warhog was the main instrument of delivering this, uh, this, 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 uh, uh, depleted uranium. Um, children all had something they had never seen before and hardly seen before. And that is, uh, neuroblastoma, uh, a particular cancer that is so rare that in most societies it's, it's always a surprise, as one of the doctors said. To see it, but the, uh, the pediatrician in charge of wards of children, all with, uh, neuroblastoma, uh, had a book, a color album of all the children 
that she treated. I mean, it was quite clear. This, this of course, is is what the researchers call anecdotal evidence. I would call it journalistic evidence, eyewitness evidence. This is this is the kind of apocalyptic result of that war that was never really uh, reported widely and has been largely forgotten since then. And the reason it's been forgotten, if I may just add a little more to my answer, Elizabeth, the the role of the World Health Organization, the World Health Organization, uh, in fact, um, it, when I was there in 1999, 2000, 2001, the World Health Organization completed a report on depleted uranium uh, by 2001, refused to release it, censored a lot of it. I interviewed uh, Carl Sikora, who was then the British oncologist who was in charge of the WHO's cancer program. Uh, and he had printed quite a bit of the damning bits of this report in Lancet, uh, the medical magazine, and was ordered by the World Health Organization to take it out. Um, this has gone on right through to the end of the, uh, what I would call the main war, that is 2003, or the initial parts of the main war, when um, uh, um, uh, the WHO issued a preliminary report and then following Fallujah, another report. But all these reports had been doctored. Uh, There's so much evidence to suggest this. Uh, So depleted uranium, really the effects of it in southern Iraq, where the the leading doctor in the Sadra hospital said estimated it would affect 48% of the population of southern Iraq. Uh, It's really like a Chernobyl. You still have people in the West saying, no, it's basically harmless. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, the then you must remember when I first saw it, uh, the so-called sanctions were in place. These were the most, as you all remember, the most stringent, it's not sanctions, a blockade really of almost everything against Iraq that weakened Iraq and prepared it to be invaded in 2003. And Carl Sikora, the oncologist, I'd mentioned, uh, he uh, wrote in the the British Medical Journal, uh, quote, requested radiotherapy equipment, chemotherapy drugs and analgesics are consistently blocked by United States and British advisors to the Iraq Sanctions Committee. We were specifically told by the WHO not to talk about the whole Iraq business. The WHO is not an organization that likes to be involved in politics. It's a rather ironic statement at the end. But uh, those that blockade was stopping, was really um, uh, uh, stopping um was crippling a country it couldn't that's why the two un uh humanitarian coordinators dennis halliday and hans von sponick resigned halliday recalled it uh, a genocide uh but the un in effect 
the United States and Britain uh, operated this medieval siege against Iraq. So by the time, time 2003 came around and the Bush and Blair um, invasion force turned up, Iraq was on its knees. Do you have any comment on the current lack of real outrage, even from independent journalism? I mean, there's not, a, I mean, we have Phil here, but there's not a lot of voices speaking out about this very, you know, stridently, like I would imagine, given the impact of this substance. Do you think that's because people are scared to talk about it in the face of, of the controversy scientifically? I don't talk about a lot of things. <laughs> and that's on the well, list. I'm talking about the independent media even. I'm not even talking that's, about that's, corporate that's on media. The list. I mean, I sometimes think that those of us doing the work I hope we're doing um, uh, will one day give up asking why the media do certain things. They are part of the problem, and they are the main instrument of propaganda. Now, I say that not rhetorically, having come from a lifetime in the mainstream media. They are the 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 instrument of propaganda, all spaces of dissent, uh, of sustained factual reporting on a, an issue such as this are closed. Um, and that's really the answer to your question, Elizabeth. But also it comes down to why why are the universities so so uh, um, so so quiet about this? Uh, you know, so many of the big universities, and I'm, I think I know the ones, but I won't name them because I'm not sure, uh, particularly in the United States, were involved in the, in refining depleted uranium. It's a very effective ordinance. It works. In tank battles, it works. It, it can subdue, uh, a major force very effectively. And here we have Ben Wallace, the defence minister in Britain, uh, uh, licensing depleted uranium to go to Ukraine. I think, uh, as you or Joe said at the, the beginning, that's, uh, that, that, that means that we're going to have another Iraq in Ukraine. So I want to turn to you in your article that you wrote, you published recently with Declassified UK, um, where you described Italian courts finding and basically validating this link between exposure to DU, um, you know, and cancer suffered by service members who were exposed in Kosovo. Can you walk us through that recent piece and what it means for this discussion? So I've been looking at both the um, the legal uh, reaction to to this issue and also the the kind of scientific debate which which john touched on and it's it's interesting that um you know even though among some of the scientific papers there's this um kind of degree of ambiguity because of the difficulties of doing long-term studies in in war zones in in the legal sphere there are hundreds of court judgments um in europe um mainly in italy but also um we found one in france and one in england where judges have awarded uh, compensation to soldiers or soldiers' uh, families after they've passed away because of these rare cancers that, that have developed after their exposure to depleted uranium ammunition. And this is um, 
This is soldiers who were either handling the ammunition themselves or they were being deployed to areas that had just been uh, strafed by by NATO, um, by by the US in in Kosovo in particular. So I think this is is really interesting. And also it kind of, you know, one of the reactions I've had to these stories is, well, who cares if some Russian soldiers get exposed to depleted uranium in their tanks? I mean, this shows that it's, you know, Ukrainian service personnel as well who are who are liable to um to some of the risks involved in this uh there's obviously of course friendly fire as well which which has happened in in these tank battles um in other conflicts and and then of course the civilian population living in those areas um either when the shells miss their targets and get buried in the ground potentially by water sources or just the the wrecks of tanks not being cleared away and and um you know children playing on them and the UK has said that they don't feel any moral obligation to help clear up the depleted uranium shells that it sent to Ukraine after the conflict or to even publish their firing locations. And that's different to um, with the uh, second Iraq war. The MOD did publish the firing locations and they did say they had a moral obligation to help clean up. Uh, ultimately, they didn't give much aid towards that cleanup. But, um, you know, I think that the position is, has hardened even more and um, and they, they seem to think that they can get away with it. And, uh, you know, going back to 2003, it did feel like there was a bit more pushback from the scientific community. Um, the Royal Society had done some research into the risks of depleted uranium that the MOD and the Pentagon tried to cite as, um, you know, saying it was low risk and the, the Royal Society... A uh, scientist behind that research actually came out and said to the Guardian, you know, they're, they're misquoting the, the research. I, I, I've said there should be a lot of caution involved uh, and we need a long term study to find out what's going on. What's interesting is is fast forward to this year when the UK announced it was going to send the depleted uranium to Ukraine. They referred to this same scientific research. They said, you know, the Royal Society said it's fine. And I, I contacted the Royal Society and said, when did you last do research on this? And they said, well, we haven't updated our research since 2002 or 2003. It's, you know, our position is the same now as it was then. Mm. Um, but, you know, th- the rest of the media didn't didn't pick up on that. So um, I think I think there are lots of of questions that should be being being asked about this. And and, you know, we have. Perhaps the scientific research, the long term studies, you know, there are difficulties around doing those, particularly in places like Iraq that are still very unstable. But if you just look at the court judgments um, and I'm just talking about courts in, in NATO states, you know, in, in Italy, in France, in, in England. Um, I mean, there are other there's other litigation going on, I think, in Serbia as well, um, regarding the, the bombardment of, of Belgrade as well. Uh, where lawyers are trying to build on the Italian cases. And I think even in Kosovo, there are some um, KLA veterans who, who've, you know, fought on the side of NATO, um, in particular towns that were heavily bombarded that have expressed concerns about this. So, you know, that's without even getting into to that side of it. You know, obviously anything um, in the Serbian courts is is liable to being dismissed as as some kind of Russian propaganda sort of things. So I, I just looked at the, you know, Italian courts, French courts, English courts. These are all NATO member states uh, to see what what those judges were saying. I know that you've also reported on the fact that there's no confirmation that Russia has used depleted uranium itself in the war in Ukraine, although it does possess a stockpile of those types of munition. Um, you've written that James T. B. told Parliament that the Ministry of Defense is unaware 
of any credible open source reports of Russia using depleted uranium in Ukraine. Can you just tell us a little bit about as well, because one of the things that I saw a lot in response to the article we published about this subject was people basically saying, well, Russia's using it, Russia's using it. And, you know, your your uh, reporting indicates that may not be the case. Yeah. So this was another thing, you know, the reaction to the first story was there was a, a, a Russian news agency article from, I think, 2018 saying that they upgraded some of their tanks to fire depleted uranium. So lots of people were sharing this on, on social media in response to our story. So an MP asked a question in Parliament saying, you know, does the MOD have any, um, you know, has Russia used depleted uranium? Uh, and I expected them to say yes. And surprisingly, that the answer was, you know, we don't have any open source information to say they have done. And something we've seen throughout this conflict is the MOD has been very quick to declassify any intelligence it receives about Russia, um, you know, using um, white phosphorus or, or anything that's perceived as kind of, you know, something that it can call out Russia on. So the fact that they weren't able to produce any any instances of Russia actually firing the depleted uranium that it has in its arsenal, again, was 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 very significant um, and and didn't really get much reaction beyond beyond our our article, unfortunately. And you bring up white phosphorus. I think that's important as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Is there evidence that Russia has used white phosphorus? Because I think that's controversial as well, as far as I'm aware. So, so there does seem to be, um, I mean, this recent case in, in Bakhmut of, of what looks like white phosphorus being fired. Uh, and Ben Wallace gave a statement to Parliament today where he, he did say, you know, using white phosphorus in civilian areas is is illegal. But some of our other research at Declassified has been looking at how Britain fires uh, white phosphorus in Kenya, um, where it has a, a military base and it has um, access to large parts of the Kenyan countryside. And it says that's legal because it's um, it's not being fired in a, in a populated area. But I mean, I've been to those areas. I've spoken to the Samburu tribe and the, and the herders who who frequent that area. And it's um, you know it's it's a nomadic area. There's no fence around this firing range, so people are just wandering through. And there are real concerns there about you know the health consequences of that. Um, they, they've also fired um, faulty ammunition that hasn't exploded, and then herders have subsequently picked it up or stepped on it and, and there have been huge numbers of, of um, uh, limbs being lost and people even being killed f- from that um, going up as recently as I think 2015. The research and the work that Phil has done on this is very important. I mean it, it's typical of the utter disregard for people's lives, their reaction to uh, the MOD's reaction to uh, uh, whether uh, depleted uranium affects people that uh, Kenya isn't a populated area or whatever the term is, like Phil, I know that area. And uh, it, I was just thinking as he was as he was describing the nomadic area where people come and go. Uh, I was thinking of Maralinga here in Australia, where in the 1950s, Sir William Penny and his uh, uh, UK atomic energy people exploded um, 30 uh, nuclear bombs in the desert at Maralinga. And uh, that was almost word for word the same excuse that there weren't people there, that they came and went. And of course, that's the nature of the people. They do came, uh, do uh, 
uh, wander throughout the country uh, in that particular area, and many of them were very seriously affected. Um, but the um, it is it is a truly shocking business that the last research, um, much of which was blocked, as I say, was done uh, around. Uh, uh, 2003, 2004, unless there's research we don't know anything about. Um, it's interesting that I think, I don't know whether this um, relates to what Phil is describing, uh, but the only time I think the US and therefore the UK has said that they have actually used um, depleted uranium was when the Dutch government uh, extraordinarily uh, got from the United States, the Defense Department, the coordinates of the uh, uh, of the use of depleted uranium in in Iraq, and it did so under pressure from the uh, Dutch uh, anti-war group Pax, which had brought in a um, a freedom of information thing. And the British, I understood, went along with that. I'm not absolutely sure about that. But what that showed, uh, what those coordinates showed, was that the certainly the US had used it uh, widely all over uh, southern and central um, Iraq. I, I mean, I don't know the exact kind of sequence of events as to how, how the firing locations came to be published. Um, I think the US were much more reluctant than the UK to release where they had fired those their munitions. And, and of course, the US had fired far, far more. So um, I, I think, yeah, we do we do have a data set of where the UK fired them in Basra in 2003. But I, I don't think we have the whole picture and certainly not the US side of it. Um, I mean, with with Ukraine, it's these these 14 tanks, Challenger 2 tanks that Britain's sending that will be able to fire depleted uranium rounds. And we don't know exactly how many of the rounds they've they've given with the tanks. Um, the minister has said they've sent several thousand tank rounds, some of which are the depleted uranium um, variant. And, um, you know, Germany is sending tanks which fire tungsten rounds instead of depleted uranium. Um, you know, the UK is is really kind of a, an outlier here in its in its use of the weapon. I mean, together with, with the US um, and actually, I think the UK has found it hard to export its Challenger 2 tanks because it's it's not a standard NATO type of ammunition. Um, and they're upgrading the Challenger 2 tank to Challenger 3, which will have a different tank turret that won't fire depleted uranium. So I think even in the MOD, there is a realisation, although they don't like to admit it in public, that this ammunition is you know, very outdated. Um, I don't think it's been produced for many, many years now. Um, so this stockpile that, that, that's being fired is is probably 20 years old or so. Um, so it does look like they're just sort of, you know, giving it to Ukraine to, to try and use it up in a way. Um, and there, there are also, you know, conflicting statements because um, Ben Wallace likes to kind of ridicule Russia's uh, tank capabilities and point out that they're using um, you know, tanks from the from the 1950s and the 1960s because they're they're getting so desperate. So you know that obviously you know if if they're using such old tanks, then why do we need such? A, why does Ukraine need such um, 
uh, effective rounds to punch through the armor if if they're you know getting out museum pieces. So that, you know there are lots of inconsistencies in in the MOD's line. It doesn't it doesn't add up. Um, but yeah, there hasn't been. I mean, that, I think on this issue, it's probably in the UK. It's had the most kind of backlash. Um, there's been almost uniform support towards the UK government's policy on Ukraine. And this is probably one of the first issues that's made people start to think, you know, whose interests are we really serving here? And if this is going to, you know, spread toxic metals across, across Ukraine, uh, you know, are we really, do we really have Ukraine's best interests at heart here? So I think it started to get people to think a little bit. Uh, and then we've had the Pentagon Papers as well, which, which highlighted more about British troops being on the ground and, you know, the near miss, the spy planes over, the Black Sea and how how close some of those near misses have been. Um, so maybe, you know, the war has been going on for over a year now. People might be willing to start thinking a bit more about, uh, you know, whether whether really they're being given the full picture um, and and whether this really has to can only end in one way or whether a peaceful solution is, is possible. That's so typical, Phil, isn't it, for this double story that Russia is this massive threat that has to be opposed to save the free world. And on the other hand, they have this outmoded equipment that they're they're a joke. They, they have one aircraft carrier, but they're this big threat. And uh, you also quoted Ben Wallace before saying that white phosphorus was illegal. So why is the use of depleted uranium not illegal? The way landmines or chemical or biological weapons have been banned in UN treaties. Why is there no UN treaty or why is this weapon not included in some of the previous treaties let's say maybe the chemical weapons uh treaty does anybody either john or phil have any ideas about why this is not outlawed and has there ever been any effort to come up with such a treaty well i know they've tried inside of the united nations joe um uh to get through uh resolutions that call for updated research I imagine the kind of research that is needed before a treaty of that kind uh, can be agreed. And it's been blocked over and over again. It had 155. Every two years, the General Assembly votes on, on depleted, on, on uh, more depleted uranium research. And every, every couple of years, the same suspects, um, mount a campaign against it that's mainly france israel the us and the and the uk um i don't quite understand as i understand that quite recently 155 countries voted yes then why that isn't a majority and the research doesn't go ahead i don't know but clearly that research uh is needed everything as as phil has said is 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 out of date. The last, the last papers that we know of, the last WHO papers, uh, are, are 20 years ago. John knows more about the backstory to this than I do, but that, that's my reading of it as well as it, when it's come up at the UN, the UK and, and countries that use depleted uranium have blocked efforts to, to ban it or even do research into it. Uh, and I mean, we see that in lots of these international treaties that, um, I know from my research into UK archives that they will uh, lobby and try and manipulate different UN committees to ensure, um, you know, a, a ban on mercenaries is something that I looked at. The UN was trying to pass a ban on mercenaries in the 1980s. The UK was was lobbying against that and tried to water it down and kill it and ultimately didn't didn't vote for it. Um, you know, fast forward now to where we've got all this concern about the Wagner Group. 
well, what's interesting is actually, you know, historically the UK has po- opposed international efforts to outlaw mercenaries. Um, and obviously Liz Truss has, has been, um, she supported Brits going out to fight for for Ukraine um, last February, which, <clears throat> you know, could fall under some definitions of, of mercenaryism. So, um, yeah, I think we, you know, these international laws are obviously shaped by the powerful states at the UN to try and uh, protect their interests as, as much as they can get away with. There's no doubt, I think, at least amongst us, that this is a very dangerous substance and it causes these illnesses. And I'm going to read in a, a little bit later from the Department of Veteran Affairs of the United States, where they're basically saying, talking out of both sides of their mouths, and they are saying it doesn't have this effect. But if you feel like you've been poisoned, come and be treated by us. So I want to know whether Russia is, despite that, that it's certainly a very toxic substance and causes the deformities and the cancers that John was describing. Is Russia going a little too far in describing it as like a dirty bomb? And did it warrant them uh, deploying these nuclear missiles that they will control on the territory of Belarus? I've not been to southern Iraq and and spoken to to victims firsthand. Um, I mean, I, I guess it's not the same as a, you know, a nuclear reaction. Um, a nuclear explosion. Um, it's more of a, um, a, a chemical toxicity issue. But I mean, we, we know that Russia has been, um, looking for any justification to move these weapons into Belarus. I think they even said in, in around January this year that if, if depleted uranium was sent with the tanks to Ukraine, they would see that as a red line and they would retaliate. Um, and then lo and behold, when it came to light, I think in March that Britain was sending these weapons, the Kremlin very quickly reacted in this way. You could say it's an overreaction, but they had said they would react like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, why why didn't the UK err more on the side of caution, particularly when you know it's only 14 tanks out of several hundred? You, you, you wonder what real advantage on the battlefield this is going to give Ukraine. Um, you could just say it's a bit of a PR own goal by the MOD. Is is one way of looking at it, but um, I, th- yeah. I think it's. A, I'm sorry, Phil. Yeah, that's all. That's all. The, the what you were saying that it, there isn't a, whether it's a whether it's a, a dirty bomb or not. Well, it's dirty in its its after effects, uh, and when you consider this, that that it uses in fact solid uranium. Um, when a warhog fires its 4,500 grams, uh, it's solid uranium. Uh, now, um, <clears throat> yes, it's a depleted form, but that's very close to a, a form of nuclear warfare. It has to be. Uh, and all of, all the effects, why the, uh, uh, revelations of the effects of this on the population are so, um, are so damning is that they're very similar and the word was used over and over again in Iraq. In fact, as I understand it, it appears in the, the WHO report that was not published and that's Hiroshima. We have our own Hiroshima. Uh, it's certainly a form of that. Uh, it's uh, a refined form of uh, nuclear warfare. Um, that's, again, that's why <laughs> it's so effective. I mean, if Britain really is serious about 
sending and sending depleted uranium to Ukraine, it shows, first of all, how desperate they are, rather than this, as Phil has mentioned, this nonsense about broken down Russian tanks, in fact, the tanks being ranged against uh, Ukraine or anything but. And they're worried uh, because the use of depleted uranium sounds certainly sounds to me like uh, a pretty desperate a desperate measure but its effect on the population uh, no it wouldn't be instant but it would soon be evident the devastation that it would cause in uh, uh, populated areas So they did this. They blew up an ammo dump. The Russians blew up an ammo dump. It's a huge, so massive. It's, I mean, that is unbelievable kind of, right? Looks like, it looks like a nuclear bomb, but, and there might be some nuclear elements to it. So that's, stay tuned. Dramatic footage circulating on social media shows a massive explosion rocking the western Ukrainian city of Klemensky following a mask attack by Russian drones. The Klemensky Oblast Military Administration confirmed on Telegram that critical infrastructure had been hit in the attack on Friday night. A wave of 21 attack drones were fired at the city. Unfortunately, not all drones were destroyed that night. 17 of the 21 uh, there, uh, 17 out of the 21 UAVs. So did they destroy 17 of them? Right. There are four hits in Kaminsky region. So I guess they got 17 of them and four of them hit. So you heard about this, right, Kurt? This big, uh, so here's the footage. Want to see the footage of it? Here it is. Yeah. Here's the footage of it. Man, Jeez, these are big. Awful. These are big. What is that? It's a, it's an, uh, it's a weapons cache in, uh, Ukraine storage place and they blew it up. This is, uh, Russia's or theirs. Russia blew up their stuff. So it's mostly American. Oh, great. We got to pay for that. That's right. That's all our money being blown up. Thanks a lot, Russia. That's quite a, wow. That is our healthcare. That is. (laughs) That's your healthcare blowing up. The mayor of the region (laughs) wrote that educational institutions, medical facilities, administrative buildings, industrial facilities, multi-story buildings, and private houses have been damaged. Uh, he also confirmed that there had been civilian casualties. Local news outlets reported at least 21 civilians were injured. The Russian Ministry of Defense said the attack had destroyed an ammunition depot and hangar at the uh, some air base in uh, Klemensky. <laughs> the Russians smoked a huge amount of American and European tax money in Ukraine. Yep. According to information... The value of the ammunition destroyed at the ammunition depot is about $500 million. So well, we're going to send that to them, right? I hope so. <laughs> I hope we reimburse them. But people are worried that there's these you depleted uranium shells oh, inside the, there. The ones that I remember people complaining about, and then they debunked it and said they don't. Call, and then it turns out, no, yeah, they do. Yeah. 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 So huge mushroom blast in uh, Klemensky reignites depleted uranium depleted uranium claims a viral video of a huge explosion so they have unverified claims that there was depleted uranium and that the radiation levels were rising in the aftermath of the strike but with little official commentary from Moscow or Kiev about the russian strikes on targets across western ukraine 
Striking images of a huge explosion recorded near Klemensky added fuel to social media speculation and resurrected existing narratives about the so-called depleted uranium shells. What do you mean so-called? <laughs> Newsweek. That's what they're called. That's what they're called. <laughs> Newsweek Misinformation Watch assessed the veracity of the claims and speculation around the subject in an attempt to figure out what really occurred. Okay, and... The sheer veracity of the blast, including the sinister-looking mushroom-like cloud of smoke rising in its aftermath, also fueled ver- unverified claims. Okay, if the NATO arms depot that Russia is blowing up contained depleted, u- depleted uranium munitions as supplied by the UK, those areas of Ukraine may become hotbeds for lung cancer and birth defects as the dust from those exploded Depleted uranium munitions can contaminate large areas of land for decades, wrote Kim.com, a prominent anti-globalist commentator. Some posts referenced and shared graphs taken from Save Ecobot, a Ukrainian service monitoring nuclear radiation levels across the country, as well as graphs attributed to the European Commission. Gamma radiation in Klemensky, western Ukraine, after the explosion of an ammunition depot was reportedly depleted with reportedly depleted uranium weapons. And here it is. So they say that higher spikes of the radiation, gamma rays. Well, not a, we're not going to know for sure until a 23-year-old National Guardsman posted up on Discord. That's right. <laughs> so they're saying there's higher radiation and they have some stuff that they claim verifies it. But according to an investigation by Geo Confirmed, a Twitter account that Geo locates visual content from the Russian-Ukraine war, there is little to support the notion that it was hit was a facility where depleted uranium shells were stored. Now, I don't know who these people are, so I can't they might be funded by the goddamn United States government for all, like that belling cat. Well, I, I, so I don't know who they are. So I, I, I wouldn't put any stock in what they're saying. Well, which, okay, which are the kind of weapons where it's safe to breathe in the fumes? Yeah, we're with weapons. <laughs> the researcher cites pre-war media reporting and public records to suggest instead that this was a Soviet era ammunitions dump, which the reports indicate could have contained as much as 30,000 tons of it. So Is that I don't, better? I, I, first of all, I don't believe them. While Newsweek could not rule out the possibility that the depleted uranium shells provided by the UK had been... So we all know the UK gave them depleted uranium shells. I can't believe they're verifying that. So they're just saying, but we can't... Whether it was blown up or not, what? The whole point of them giving them the shells is they can blow them up. Hey, just using the shells That's is right. every bit as bad as that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, Depleted uranium is a byproduct of the price. So who cares? They're probably lucky it's going to be concentrated in that spot instead of all over their country because yes. that stuff's poison. It is true that depleted that DA munitions are radioactive and thus are considered to be con- <laughs> uh, We know. So this is a spin You're story. A so this is all bullshit. I would not put any stock into what they, they're saying here. Uh, however, as Newsweek reported, no definitive conclusions have been drawn on the environmental impacts of depleted uranium or the effects it could have on the human body. I bet the effects are great. <laughs> Maybe what? turn into the Hulk. Yeah. Wasn't gamma would help them? I bet it makes you smarter and gives you better sleep. <laughs> Their radioactivity is something of a red herring. <laughs> Why? Why is it a red herring? So you're, you're telling me depleted uranium bombs don't cause birth defects? No. Uh, the real danger appears to lie in its toxicity as a heavy metal. <laughs> so it's still horrible? 
Oh, so you're telling me this Chernobyl may be a mere East Palestine? <laughs> <laughs> the radioactive. So this is what. So again, don't. The radioactive spike reports are also undermined by the actual timeline of events, as well as misleading use of the monitoring. So they're trying to say it didn't happen. They're trying to say that depleted uranium didn't get blown up in there. But I'm going to bet you if they're going through all this trouble to come up with a story that why it didn't happen, it happened. I mean, you're arguing to say it's like, no, no, it's not. It's not uranium. It's just probably heavy metal poisoning. Yeah, it's probably just that. <laughs> it's like the Nazi, like, no, we weren't doing a Holocaust. Yeah. We are just making them slaves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so it's a great war. Keep it going. Keep Do you it want going. To win? I want Ukraine to win, so we have to keep it going. You know, peace deals are uh, problematic. They should have access to their land that is now absolutely polluted with uranium. Yeah. <laughs> Check out my new stand-up special, COVID Lies Are Funny, at JimmyDoor.com. Only $10 become a premium member. We're going to be on tour in Northampton, Massachusetts, Syracuse, Cohoes, New York, Hartford, Los Angeles, Bakersfield, California, Baltimore, Maryland, and San Francisco, California. Plus, do we say Chicago? There's lots of stuff. Go to JimmyDoor.com for a link for tickets. See you there. And that was George H.W. Bush and the Carlisle Group who introduced it and made all the profits on it. And that's Queen Elizabeth Canadian Uranium, which she personally owns, is in all of the depleted uranium. She has investments of over $17 trillion in depleted uranium holdings. Queen Elizabeth is destroying the entire global population, global fertility, uh, global health to make those profits.